from simply bothersome all the way down to deeply troubling, imagine finding yourself in one of the following situations. Waiting on the phone for two to three hours. The hold from hell, right? (laughs) When suddenly a customer service agent breaks in. How may I help you today? Stuck in a police station in a hostile foreign nation when suddenly an English language translator appears. Stuck in a prison in a hostile foreign nation when suddenly an American diplomat appears in your cell. Stuck in the child welfare system for years when suddenly an adoption caseworker steps in to connect you with a loving family. Spiraling down into debt when suddenly a financial backer appears and intervenes with all your creditors. Working for months, even years, to leave your increasingly lawless, increasingly impoverished nation when suddenly a sponsor steps forward to help with your immigration. Sitting on death row when suddenly a well-known lawyer not only takes your case, but takes up your cause wholeheartedly eager to see justice done. These are all instances of much-needed mediation. Much-needed mediation. All you had to do was take to heart a couple of those and you would get the sense, right? The sense of how desperately, how desperate your circumstances were and how desperately you needed someone to represent you. Someone to step in and speak or act on your behalf in the face of some greater power when you felt powerless. Mediation is our theme this morning as we look together at Hebrews chapter 7, Hebrews 7, verses 23 through 25. For the past two Sundays, as many of you know, we've been talking about why Easter should be, hands down, your favorite day. Favorite day of this year, favorite day of any year. Let me give you a third reason that Easter should be your favorite day. Here it is. Reason number three. Easter should be your favorite day because it's the day you were given an eternal mediator for the sake of your eternal well-being. It's the day you were given an eternal mediator for the sake of your eternal well-being. Listen to how the author of Hebrews speaks about this appointment in Hebrews 7, 23 through 25. He tells us this about Jesus. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, in their office. But he holds his 
priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So notice right right away here, notice that we're not talking about a translator, are we? We're not talking about a social worker. We're not talking even about a high-powered, famous lawyer. The mediators that we have in view that are being discussed in this passage are priests. Priests. Those appointed to represent sinful human beings in the presence of a holy God. That starts way back in the Old Testament, doesn't it? And it continues right up to the revelation of Jesus. So priests, look what the author is doing in this passage. The author is writing this book, we know, if we study the whole book, we know he's writing this book to those who are confessed Jewish Christians. Those Jews who have, who have, who have followed Jesus, the Nazarene. They have uh, committed themselves to him. They have heard his voice, as it were, through the gospel. They've joined themselves to the Christian community. And yet, at this point, according to this book, some are wanting to go back under the priestly work of the sons of Aaron. They want to go back under the mediatorial work of those Levites who were at work in the Jerusalem temple offering animal sacrifices, trimming the lamb, putting out the bread, doing all the work that uh, they were enjoined with, right? That they were called to do based on the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus, the book of Deuteronomy. They're wanting to go back. We don't know exactly why they're wanting to go back. Probably persecution, probably pressure. Seem to be some evidence of that uh, within the book itself. But the writer here is speaking to them as those wanting to go back. He's reminding his readers throughout this book why the priesthood of Jesus is vastly superior to what came before. This is one of the ways the author of Hebrews is arguing in this book for the superiority of Jesus. His priesthood is far superior. According to this passage, the reason Jesus is a far better priest is, verse 23, he's not prevented by death from continuing in office. He, ha- he holds his priesthood permanently as we read there. Why is that? Well, verse 24, he holds it permanently because he continues forever. He continues forever. Or as the author goes on to write in verse 25, because he always lives to make intercession for us. No, Jesus is not one of the sons of Aaron. Right? He doesn't qualify as a priest in that regard. That's not his descent. He was not born into the tribe of Levi. But if we look at chapter, so we look at verse 16, take a look at verse 16 of this chapter, what does it say? It says he was appointed as a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent. You see, it's not based off him being one of a, a, a Levite, right? What is it based on then? 
It's based on the fact that he has the power of an indestructible life. That's one of the reasons, right? That's what it's focused on here. It's not on the basis. He's not appointed on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent. He's appointed by the power of an indestructible life. Listen to how the writer later affirms the firmness of this solid rock. The solid rock of Christ's permanent priesthood. Chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. You may have heard that book, that verse disconnected from the, some of the themes of the book, but it, it speaks beautifully to what chapter 7 is highlighting. He continues forever. He always lives to make intercession. He has an indestructible life. He is the same. He does not change. Brothers and sisters, friends, this emphasis points us back to where? To Easter. To Easter, which should be your favorite day. You see that? Through His resurrection, Jesus Christ manifested the power of an indestructible life, didn't it? He couldn't stay dead. Because of His resurrection, Jesus Christ continues forever, as the author of Hebrews is highlighting in chapter 7. Because of His resurrection, Jesus Christ always lives to make intercession for us. Easter was the day our eternal mediator became the only eternal mediator. There is no other. No matter what anybody tells you, no matter what you believe, no matter what you're clinging to, there is only one eternal mediator. If there are in this life instances of much needed mediation like we talked about before, times when we are in desperate need of an advocate, someone to represent us in that difficult situation when we are powerless in the face of some greater power, none of those instances can compare to the mediation of Jesus and our desperate need for His mediation. In fact, all of those instances, as you experience them, should point you to the fact that human beings need mediation, don't they? Always. It's a regular part of our existence. And it should point us to the fact that we ultimately need mediation. If we need it now in the circumstances of this life, you can be sure that we need it for the next life. We need it for the age to come. We need it for the unseen, the spiritual life. We desperately need mediation. But there is only one mediator. We need an eternal advocate. We need ultimate intercession, don't we? But that brings us to a second point. It's critical that we remember a second reason why Jesus is a far better priest. Why He and He alone is the ultimate mediator. Yes, the permanent and perpetual priesthood of the risen Jesus, it points us back to Easter. But it also, that priesthood, points us back to Good Friday, doesn't it? We need to look to both of those. Jesus is our ultimate mediator, not simply because He always lives to make intercession for us, but because His intercession is always perfect in every way. Always. In light of the per perfect sacrifice that He offered up when He offered up Himself. 
This is how the author of Hebrews goes on to describe that sacrifice. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, he entered once for all, once for all, into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For Christ has entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. It was not, he didn't enter the presence of God in order to offer himself up repeatedly as the Jewish high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then, if that was true, Christ would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. Sin's always been around. But as it is, He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. You see, every earthly priest stands daily at His service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ offered for all time, for all time, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Wow. Hebrews 9, 11, and 12, 24 through 26, and chapter 10, 11 through 14. You string it all together like that, it is powerful, isn't it? Even more powerful. It packs a punch when you read that emphasis, that contrast, right, between the repeated, ineffective work, ultimately, of the sons of Aaron and the single once for all work of Jesus when he sacrificed himself, his own blood, blood of the eternal Son of God. How could it not be eternal redemption that he secured for us? Us, we who are being sanctified presently because of that work. You see, when you understand the true nature and true extent of your sin, and in some sense, every Christian is learning more about that the older you get, right? It doesn't get to a point where you kind of figure it out and you're like, ah, I've arrived. No, as long as you're on this, wor- in the, on this earth, by His grace, God is revealing to you through His means of grace, the Word of God, fellowship of the people, the counsel of God's people, Right? Through prayer, He is revealing more and more to you the true nature and true extent of your sinfulness. When you understand that, and at the same time He's doing another work, He is revealing to you when you understand more deeply the truth about God's holiness and God's justice. So the truth about the nature, the true nature and true extent of your sinfulness... And that truth, right, the extent of God's holiness and His justice, you can't not be astounded 
by the fact that God would provide a mediator for you like Jesus. But to accomplish the monumental, transformative, universe-encompassing and eternal work that we desperately needed, we needed exactly that kind of priest. Exactly that kind of priest. The kind of priest that Jesus is. That's why the writer goes on in the very next verse after our main passage. Look at verse 26 of Hebrews 7. He goes on to tell us what? He says, For indeed, it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Praise God for this mediator. This kind of mediator. You see, only a perfect human being who was at the same time perfectly divine could stand in the gap for you, for me. He's the only one. One who perfectly satisfied the justice of God for each one of us. As the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all. There's the priestly work. The mediatorial work. This is the testimony given at the proper time. We know all around us there are claims. There are claims that there are many paths to God. And yet, we can be sure that Scripture speaks to the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. It speaks very clearly to the fact that He and He alone is the way to God. That's why Christians labor even now and have given their lives to bring that message to the ends of the earth. Or maybe to the end of your street. To the end of your list of acquaintances. May God find us faithful in bringing this message that there is only one mediator. His name is Jesus Christ. In Hebrews, in this book, the word mediator is used... Not in our passage that we're looking at this morning, but it's used three times, always in reference, interestingly, to the covenant, the new covenant that Christ ratified through His blood. The covenant Christ mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises, says the author in chapter 8, verse 6. He is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance chapter 9 verse 15 to jesus the mediator of a new covenant and the sprinkled blood to the sprinkled word word, blood that speaks a better word than the blood of abel chapter 12 verse 24 I love that fact that mediator is spoken about in hebrews in terms of covenant you know what that means it means it's signed sealed and delivered baby Right? It's signed, sealed, and delivered by God Himself through the blood of His Son that you have an eternal mediator. He's not going anywhere. He's there. He's not changing. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. What encouraging words God has given us this morning about our mediator.
Easter should be your favorite day of any day because it's the day you were given an eternal mediator for the sake of your eternal well-being. We get so caught up in our temporary well-being, don't we? We get so caught up in our well-being right now, maybe our physical well-being, maybe our political well-being, maybe our relational well-being in our family, financial well-being. But do we give attention to our eternal well-being? We know just logically that that is the, that is the, the most important thing. It has to be. That is the most important thing because it lasts forever. It has to do with our forever, not the temporary, transient things of this world. You see, God has provided for your eternal well-being by giving you an eternal mediator. If this is true, which it is, how should our day-to-day be affected? How should the day-to-day mediation of Jesus in heaven, we could say, affect your day-to-day life on this earth? Christians often stray to two extremes. And I've been in both kinds of settings. I've worshipped in both kinds of settings before. Some are either focused on the past work of Christ, but with an emphasis on simply doctrinal confession. What Christ did. Here it is. Doctrinal confession. And I've also been on churches that, that, then, or, uh, that, that swing to the other side and they, focus, uh, they simply focus on the, or maybe fixate, on the future return of Christ. But simply with an emphasis on apocalyptic calculation. Right? This event, this thing's happening. Can't you see? Can't you see the signs? Look at this chart. It's all coming true. But we as believers must embrace the work of Christ on the cross in His victory over death. We must embrace His future return. But we also have to consider and live in light of His present work. Right now, what He's doing. His mediatorial work. His priestly work. His work as our advocate. We holding firmly to the grace of the cross and the hope of His return must regularly ask ourselves, what will it look like to walk by faith in this Jesus this very day? If I am called to walk by faith, what does it mean to trust in this Jesus? Not just the Jesus of the cross. Not just the Jesus of the end times chart. The Jesus who lives now, reigning at this very moment at the right hand of God, your intercessor. Let me suggest to you three ideas, three ways the mediation of Jesus should impact your life today. Here's a first idea. Number one, when other people let you down, you can be sure there is always someone in your corner. There is always someone in your corner, capital S. (laughs) All of us know from living life that there are times when relationships can become strained or circumstances can move people in different directions or expectations are not met or a friend or family member makes a decision that is deliberately hurtful. And depending on the size of your circle, depending on who is affected, it can feel like at times we are totally on our own. 
even when we are circumstantially surrounded by others. Events like this can lead to feelings of deep isolation. But if you are a follower of Jesus, as we've seen this morning, you are never truly on your own. Ever. There is another human being who is always on your side. Someone who always, always, always has your back. Who will never not be in your corner. And He died to make His advocacy, His mediation, an eternal reality in your life. Even when you are struggling with faith, He stands faithfully at God's right hand for you. Isn't that awesome? Does that encourage you this morning? I pray that it does. And especially in those times when it does feel you do feel cut off when you do feel alone, when you do feel like even though you've got people maybe closer than you want them to be, <laughs> you feel disconnected. You feel like no one understands. No one's there. As the author writes in the final chapter of this book, he says, For he, God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Second, number two, an implication, an application of the mediation of Jesus. Number two, whenever we wrestle with a present reality of guilt and regret and shame, etc., we can know there is also a present reality of mediation for us in the presence of God. Maybe this morning you are wrestling with a decision or a series of decisions that you know were blatantly sinful, deeply dishonoring to God, self-centered, Hurtful to others. Maybe you believe what you did or said was, what you did or said to someone was so bad that God wants nothing to do with you. Or, or maybe you are reluctant to face, really face what you did or said. Maybe you're rationalizing, minimizing. If that's you this morning, God is calling you through me by His Spirit this morning, to repent. To repent. To remorsefully acknowledge and, 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 and inwardly turn from that sin. To reject that mindset, that path. And to do so in light of what we've talked about this morning. The perfect once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus that covers every sin of every child of God. But maybe you've done that. Maybe you've repented. Maybe you feel like you have done that, right? But the feelings of guilt remain. The issue keeps popping up, keeps presenting itself into your mind, keeps weighing on you. That regret continues to weigh you down. A shame continues to hang over your head. What can you do in times like that? Well, as we've, as we've heard this morning, 
because of Easter, we can look to our mediator who always lives to make intercession for us. God wants us to accept that when things like regret and shame and despair feel so powerfully present, He wants us to accept that the reality of Christ's mediation is even more so. Is even more so. In fact, such feelings are nothing more than that. It's the reality of His priesthood, in fact. It's that fact that empties the reality of our guilt through His shed blood, His cleansing blood. So when we fix our eyes on Him and the fact that He has accomplished a work once for all, it is finished, it was covered, it was paid for, the debt was paid for, that should empty, right? It should empty those feelings of guilt and shame and regret that are hanging on to us. So that's a present work, not just a past thing that we think, yeah, I know Christ died on the cross for my sins, but I presently feel so weighed down. Boy, we need to hold on to the cross. We need to hold on to the present work of Jesus and say right now, living, active, fresh, Jesus is there. As I'm feeling what I'm feeling, He's feeling love for me. As I'm suffering under kind of the weight of my sin, He has dealt with my sin and He's conveying that truth and that ministry to me through His Spirit to say, I have paid that debt. You are set free. You are cleansed. God wants us to turn the eyes of our hearts to set the focus of our faith on Christ and specifically that fact that He is presently interceding for you. Just as you are presently suffering, struggling. Finally, number three. Because our mediator, our go-between was once where we are now, we can be sure that one day we will be where He is now. One day we will be where He is right now. Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. Because of the incarnation, because God the Son, without losing His deity, took on our humanity, He has become a bridge. A bridge connecting mankind and their Creator. His sinless humanity holding firm on our side and His all-powerful deity holding firm in the presence of God. And so, because He once was where we are now, we can one day be where He is right now. He died to make that possible. Brothers and sisters, He lives to make that possible. It may be this morning that you've been longing to hear that comforting truth. You've been needing to hear that comforting truth. Yes, This life can be so heavy that we need reassurance that there is another life to come, one of rest. And there is. There is. But even more so, we should long not simply for rest, we should long for reunion. 
reunion. If you have been truly born again by God's grace through the power of His Spirit, there should be a deep desire within you to see Jesus Christ face to face. To be in His presence. (laughs) Literally, in His presence. Jesus Christ, your mediator, the one who has stood is standing and will stand for you in the presence of a holy God. The one who has brought you back, the son who has brought you back to his father, who is now your father. Paul put this very simply, this desire simply in Philippians 1.23. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. Hands down. How could it not be? One day that will happen. The present mediatorial work of Christ, His advocacy, His intercession, is a reminder that just as a human being is at God's right hand, so too one day will all humans, right? All of His redeemed humanity will be there in the presence of God. He is that hope for us He is the forerunner of our faith. He has gone before. He has made that path possible. As surely as He died for you, you will live with Him one day. We need to be comforted by that, don't we? That doesn't take away from our life here, our present responsibilities as His children, His servants in this world. Now, in fact, it actually strengthens us. It reassures us in the face of the difficulties of life to know one day there will not only be rest, there will be reunion. Let's give thanks together this morning for that fact, for all that we've talked about this morning in light of Christ as our eternal mediator. And let's each of us talk with God about how He has spoken to you personally this morning, what ideas from His Word, what truths have have impacted you. And if they haven't impacted you, that's something to pray about as well, isn't it? (laughs) To say, God, help me not to think I know all of this already. Help me not to think I've got this all down. Help me not to be hard-hearted. Help me to be open to allowing you to work in my life powerfully emotionally maybe, right? To convey to us the significance of what Christ has accomplished for us and what He is accomplishing even now, His work as mediator at this very moment. Would you pray with me? Let's pray.